the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program, not just any program. This is our final program before Christmas. I almost said Easter, but I'm wishing my life away. The final program before Christmas. It is a Friday night um, kids' Christmas play night for us, so we're excited. Uh, as you heard the announcer say, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, anything on your heart, um, maybe life questions, difficult situations that you're going through. I will do the best that we can to answer those questions. All you need to do is call us, area code 210-340-9585. It's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can also use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send your questions to us that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just push call now and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Uh, Because it's Friday, and I already told you all week we've had the kids' Christmas play scheduled tonight. It's at 6.30 p.m. at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. Boy, the kids here are excited. They've been out of school since noon getting ready for their Christmas break, but they're all excited about the program. Uh, It's free. It doesn't cost anything. It's a wonderful way to spend the first part of your Friday, excuse me, of your Friday evening. Um, So we'd love to have you come. There's plenty of room at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. It is an original score, uh, original music, um, I think you will truly be blessed. We've got kids from toddlers all the way up to um, seniors in high school. Uh, and in fact, we have uh, an a cappella group that's been hanging around our church for so many years. Some of those kids are now um, mothers uh, and fathers on their own. Uh, so that's always a neat time. So that's tonight. Now, that also means... That our normal Friday night service here at the church is canceled, so no Friday night service here. Let me give you a little bit more of the um, of scheduling information. Um, we're having uh, Christmas Eve services, two of them, on Monday at four o'clock, four thirty, and six o'clock in the evening. They're one hour sharp, um, but the program on Monday and on Christmas Day. That's Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday, the day after Christmas, will be rebroadcasts. Uh, We won't be live on those programs. Paul and I will be back with you live on Thursday of next week, and I'll be uh, on my own here on Friday the following day. But have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas, and I just know Jesus is about to bless you like crazy. Okay, one more time, the phone number, and we'll get to some questions. 340-9585. I have a first question that came in um, at the end of the program on Wednesday. We didn't deal with it yesterday when Paula was on, but it was in response to uh, the question uh, where 
Jesus told Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. This is from William. He says, wait, so Satan could speak through Peter. Is it because he didn't have the Holy Spirit in him yet? Or can Satan still speak through Christians regardless of having God in their hearts? William, uh, what I said was that he was speaking directly to the Spirit behind the question. I think this is an important insight into how the enemy works. He he goes after our flesh. You know, Jesus had just said to Peter um, that that I'm going to die and, and, and uh, I'm going and suffer at the hands of the Gentiles. And uh, Peter said, no, Lord, may it be far from you. And that's a literal translation. Wherever you are, may that thing you describe be far, far away from you. Um, so Jesus was dealing with the spirit behind the question. Now, uh, Satan didn't inhabit Peter. It wasn't a, a satanic voice. It was Peter's voice. But Jesus was simply, simply acknowledging to the spirit behind the question that this is something that has nothing to do with the heart and the mind of God. But this is the thing that is, is, is near and dear to the heart and minds of men. So the Spirit influences our decisions. The Spirit can implant thoughts. But believe me, Satan, um, it wasn't Satan's voice. Uh, Satan can oppress us but not possess us. So Peter certainly wasn't um, demon-possessed. But he was moved by the enemy, by the devil, Satan had just asked for Peter by name. Jesus warned him about that, Peter, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. So this was just the enemy speaking through the host. But again, it was the spirit behind the question that Peter asked, not the the demon itself or not Satan himself. So Satan still influences the things that we say and do. Satan still... Uh, what's the appetite of our flesh? Uh, Satan plants all kinds of questions. God, if you love me, why would this? Why would these things be happening to me? Those questions that come in our mind are, are always satanic in origin or demonic in origin, I will say for us. But in this particular case, we know it was the devil himself because Jesus said to Peter, he's asked for you by name. So I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, let's go to San Antonio, Texas now and talk with Art on line one. Art, thanks for calling. You're on the air. How's it going, Pastor Ron? It's going well. Thank you. <laughs> uh, first of all, let me thank you for all your, your prayers. Uh, I'm getting a whole lot better. I don't know if you remember me or not, but... Um, I do. I go to Dallas because I'm blind, but when God's strengthening me, he's, uh, uh, I, I haven't got my eyesight back, but I feel stronger now. <laughs> Good for you, Art. But, uh, thank you. And uh, the question I was wondering, Pastor, uh, I have a father that's up in the 80s, 70-something, and he had a, a triple bypass, and the result of that triple bypass, he had a stroke. And and I remember being young, and he used to make us go to church. He used to be at church all the time. And now he's just become a nasty person, calling people names, and, and not the same person. I, I want to know... Yeah. I mean, I've heard people say you're going to lose your salvation, and 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 some say you can if if you're saved, you're saved. You know, um, I want to know. You know, I'm really concerned because he's up in age and he's not going to last very much longer. And I would hate for him, you know, not to not to make it. Yeah, Art. That's because your heart is the same heart as Jesus has. A couple of things that that I would really strongly encourage you to do. I, I think as a, as a son, um, we, we need to know the, the answers to these questions. And, and it's one of these things that you can go to your, to, to, to this man and you can say to him, um, look, uh, you, you took us to church and, and, and you always identified as a godly man. But now as you're getting ready to go meet God as friend or foe, I, I want to know, have you really given your heart to Jesus Christ? And, um, you know, because of the stroke, he may not have the same capacity to think or communicate as he once did. But that doesn't mean that, that God won't use you to break through. So whether he's saved or not, um, that's only known to, to, to God, certainly, and, and to, your, to, to him. Um, but you have a right to ask the question. In fact, I believe, Art, that we have a mandate 
to ask those questions. I don't want to question the people that, that I care about and love deeply. I, I don't want to question whether, well, I hope they're in heaven. I don't think they're in heaven, but I don't know. So so find a good time when, when, when he's in a good frame of mind or at least as good as possible uh, and ask the question. Now, a couple of other things that are really important. One, if he ever was saved, he is saved. Uh, that's the one you can't lose what God guarantees. That's very important. Ephesians chapter one, verse 14 is just one place, but it says it more clearly than anywhere else that the spirit is given to us as, as we're born again as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. So if he was ever saved, he is, but that doesn't mean he was. We don't know for sure. Lots of people are in church every Sunday. Uh, a lot of dads make their sons and daughters go to church, but themselves are not converted. They haven't really dealt with God on a on the basis of of repentance and asking God for forgiveness of sins. Um, but but again, you have the right to know the answer to those questions, and so we ask. Next, you need to pray for him constantly. I'm sure you do. But pray for him constantly um, because God is going to take all of those things that he said as a younger man seriously. And God's going to chase him. If he's not saved, God's going to chase him until the, the moment his, his spirit is gone and it's too late. So always keep trying. Always keep praying. Always keep sharing your heart and what God has done in your life with him. Now, on the sort of practical side of your question... When um, people get old, when they have strokes, when their capacity to think or, or, or to respond has been diminished, and it happens to a lot of, of people, um, the things, the meanness, the, the hard things they say, um, they're not responsible for those things if, if they have no capacity. So don't take it personal. I know it's hard not to, but... Um, Respond to his meanness with love. Um, uh, I've shared on the program, Art, that Paul and I did a nursing home ministry, and we saw some people who I knew were Christians uh, actually cursing God at the end. Uh, they just lost their, their ability to think. And, and I always think what a blessing death was for them because at, at the moment where Jesus came to get him or sent the angel to come and get him and take him, uh, take him or her to, to the presence of the Lord... Uh, they were completely free. And that's really the end of their pain and their suffering. But now they're with Jesus. So um, the enemy is merciless. And when people get old, uh, he never lets up. Uh, he doesn't give them a break at all. When they get old, he's always trying to pound and destroy and to kill, to steal, because that's his job. So, Art, um, keep praying for him and keep being a witness for him. And thanks for letting us know that you're doing all right. Um, we'll keep praying for you. 340-9585 for live calls and questions. Here is a question from Sam. He says, I have a Christian friend who says we should not celebrate Christmas because it's a pagan holiday. What do you say? Sam, I've had this question several times uh, in the Christmas season, of course, and we'll get it again uh, when Easter comes. Um, but, but, you know, the one thing that God does, it's his specialty, in fact, Sam, is that he redeems pagan things and turns them to and for his glory. That's important. So we celebrate Christmas. It is true. Saturnalia began as a pagan celebration. Uh, it, it's, it certainly has nothing to do with, with uh, our baby Jesus. It has nothing to do with, with our faith in the real Christ, the King, the Lord of Lords. Um, but what God did is take this pagan holiday and turned it into a day where the whole world is thinking about the real Jesus. So he's redeemed the pagan celebration. So what we celebrate isn't the pagan origins of Christmas. What we celebrate is very specifically the entrance of God in the person of Jesus Christ, a baby, into the world. We celebrate God humbling himself, taking on human flesh, Almighty God, one moment receiving the, the worship and praises of angels, the next minute traveling down the birth canal of a teenage girl. 
And we celebrate it because that's the, the extent of the sacrifice God made for us. Almighty God became a baby. He didn't come as an adult. He didn't come to conquer the world. He came to save the world. I mentioned in the Bible study, Sam, that I did on Wednesday night that, um, you know, when we think about a baby, I mean, there's nothing less threatening than a baby. Um, And that's the way Jesus chose to make his entrance into this world. So, yes, go ahead and celebrate Christmas. Do it honoring Jesus with all of your heart. And don't worry about what your friends say. Um because they don't have the capacity to enjoy that which the rest of us can. Here's a question from Randall. What does it mean that Jesus laid his deity aside while on earth? Does it mean that he stopped being God? Randall, he never stopped being God. By definition, God always is. So by definition, God has no beginning. He has no end. Um, what it means, Philippians chapter 2 is the passage you're talking about. And what it means is that when Jesus came to earth as a baby, he left his deity in heaven. He took on a new nature. He was completely God, 100% God, but he was also 100% man. That's the, the mystery of our triune God. This is the mystery of all mysteries for me. And yet he was both fully man and fully God. It also means, Randall, and this is important for us practically, it means that Jesus never used his power to do anything that benefited himself. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. He says, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. When he was hungry, after 40 days, and the devil came and tempted him, Jesus didn't make stones turn into bread. He could have. Could have made himself a sandwich. Jesus didn't do anything that he was the personal beneficiary of. Every miracle he did was heaven sent. Every miracle he did was to benefit others, to demonstrate that he really was the Son of God and God the Son. When he was tired, he slept. When his heart broke, he cried. He never just snapped his fingers and said, you know, I'm tired of this. I'm going to be God for a minute and get my energy back. He never did any of that. The only time on earth, Randall, that his deity shone through was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And even that wasn't for his benefit. It was for the benefit of those that he took with him on that mountain. So I hope that makes sense. He doesn't ever, he never stopped being God. Um, But from that point forward, from his incarnation as a baby, Randall, he never stopped being a man as well. And by the way, son of man was his favorite title for himself. 340-9585, here's a question from Anthony. He says, is 2 Chronicles 7.14 for America today? Well, let me read 2 Chronicles 7.14. It's one most of us know. Uh, And then I'll answer your question, Anthony. It says, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Anthony, that is a very specific word to Israel. Israel is his people. This isn't a promise for America. This isn't a promise for uh, New Testament Christians specifically. I'll talk about the principle in a moment. But Um, No, this isn't a promise. Now, the reason this is always difficult for me is because every national day of prayer, this is the prayer that everybody prays. And as they pray this prayer, it's as as though we're we're saying, well, well, America, we're God's nation, and we're not. 
We're not. Now, here's the principle for us, Anthony. If we will humble ourselves individually, and if we'll call on God praying, if we'll seek his face, God says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If we'll turn from our wicked ways, our sin, then God will hear from heaven our prayers, and we will be healed. Our sins will be forgiven. But this isn't a promise to any nation in the world today, save for Israel. And by the way, if Israel, the people of God, would humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways, then he would hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. That's in our future, Anthony. It's very important, but it's not a promise to us. One of the problems with the lack of Bible teaching that we have in our church culture is that we jump around from verse to verse, um, out of context, and we take all those things. So when you hear somebody in National Day of Prayer saying that this is a prayer, and I'm claiming this for America, uh, that just demonstrates that they don't really know their Bibles at all. So, Anthony, thank you for the question. Uh, let's go to Charles calling from San Antonio Online 1. Charles, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Charles, are you there? Charles going once. Okay, Charles, if you can hear us but we can't hear you, why don't you call us back at 340-9585. We would love to hear what you had to say. Let me go to another question that was sent in. Here's one from Becky. She wants to know how many wise men were there in the Christmas story. Well, Becky, the one thing that we know for sure is that there weren't three. Um, um, Just because of the danger of these wise men were carrying um, a a treasure uh, with them. And travel in the ancient world was very, very dangerous. So they would have traveled in a large caravan, that's for sure. How many? We don't know. I've seen some commentators suggest there was many as 300. Uh, all we know is there were a fairly large multitude of wise men with them. They were from Babylon. Uh, they were astrologers. And um, they they had a heart to seek God, and God honored that heart. And that's exactly why they were there. So not three, but more. Let's go to Kyle, Texas, and talk with Philip on line one. Philip, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, Pastor Ron, thank you for taking my call. I wanted uh-huh. to see if you could clarify something for my wife and I. We were listening to a sermon, and it was about uh, the forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus and how uh, once you've been forgiven, you know, he remembers your sins no more. He throws it from the mm-hmm. east to the west. But uh, during the sermon, he was talking about how uh, when we pass, that, that we will be uh, judged. And so I was trying to – I was confused on this, so – is are we still judged even though we're forgiven or is there something that I was going to see if you can help me out with that because I'm kind of confused on it. Okay, Philip, I can do that. Um, Philip, the the best thing about Jesus, Paul always says, the best thing about Jesus is his forgiveness. And that's because our sins are completely wiped out. So when we go to be with Jesus, you, you said when we pass, we're not pass, we graduate. We move to a better neighborhood. And when we stand before Jesus, we're going to be judged for rewards. We will receive and lose rewards based on the things that we did, based on the motive behind the things that we did. Our works, and this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, are going to be tested to see what sort of work they are. Are they good works or good-for-nothing works? A good work is a work that honors Jesus, a work that, that, that he prepared for us to do. A work that's good-for-nothing is a work that we did to benefit ourselves, a work that we did selfishly, or perhaps a work that we did complaining and grumbling the whole time. So um, those works are going to be burned up. But remember, this isn't a judgment for salvation. This is a judgment of works. Can you imagine Jesus standing there wanting to give us these crowns? It's, Jesus himself says it's better to give than receive. Well, on this day of judgment, it's called the Bema Seat of Christ, the Reward Seat of Christ. On this day, um, he's going to have this smile on his face like, look at the gifts that I have for you. 
and some of them he's going to give us because we we did things for for his glory things to honor him um some of the other works well let's just say they were less holy in terms of motive we did them for us not really for jesus we we might have tried to be nice we might have given a little bit of money or we might have served a little bit but we but we did it with the wrong heart there won't be any rewards for those things so philip that's the only distinction. It's it's a receiving or losing rewards, but not for salvation. The one thing that will never be brought up when we're in heaven is our sin. Because when our sins are forgiven, when when our sins are wiped away by the blood of Christ, they are gone forever and ever and ever. I love that about Jesus. So, Philip, I hope that makes it clear to you. Don't worry about it being judged, no judgment. We've got 30 minutes left in the week, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions, or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Hold on, we will be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our program 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-5757 Here is a question from John. He says, Pastor Ron, will Israel ever be put out of their land again? John, it's possible. But what we know for sure, and the only thing we know for sure, is that Israel will be in control of their land again if they are put out. Now, I personally don't think Israel will ever be put out of their land. There have been so many attempts to wipe them off the face of the earth. Um, um, it's fascinating historical study, the 67 war and the 73 war. Um, uh, amazing, amazing that, that Israel's existed this long. But you see, God is fighting for them. He always has and he always will be. So I think Israel is there to stay. Um, but my faith would not be shaken if Israel was suddenly driven out um, it would only mean that they will return to even greater triumph and glory. Now, it might push back the the, the prophecy time clock uh, for the rapture of the church and the end of times. But, John, I don't think we have to worry about that. I don't think Israel uh, will ever be put out of their land again. Remember, as Christians, it's our responsibility to be a blessing to Israel, to support Israel. If we'll do that, then... Um, Um, We're pleasing to the Lord for sure. Here is a question from our email inbox that came in from Dylan. He said, what last days, there's two questions, what last days was the prophet Joel referring to when Peter quoted him in Acts chapter 2? Was he referring specifically to Pentecost or the days after? If after, why is there no more prophesying visions, dreams, or etc. as described by Peter in Acts chapter 2? And the second question was, when was the moment the Holy Spirit began entering believers for salvation? Was it John 20, 22 or Pentecost? And I don't mean being baptized or filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean being sealed for salvation. Did that happen in John or Acts? In other words, not just the disciples, but when did uh, all believers begin receiving the Spirit simply by believing? Wonderful questions, Dylan. Um, The first question, the last days that the prophet Joel was referring to um, are the very last days leading to the return of Jesus to this world. Uh, Joel um, was quoting um, um, uh, or, or looking forward to a time when God would supernaturally be speaking to his people, the Jews again, and he was speaking to um, uh, with regard to the signs and wonders, he was speaking of both Pentecost, we know that because Peter quoted him, but also the days after. Now, here's what we have to remember. 
the last days are days describing the time from Jesus' ascension to heaven until his return. So we're not just talking about the Great Tribulation. We are in the last days now, Dylan, uh, the, the days between Jesus' ascension into heaven when he was taken up, and more than 500 saw him at one time, and that, that moment when he returns to set his feet on the Mount of Olives, you can read about that in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, 25, Mark 13, and Luke chapter 21. Now, you asked if after, why is there no more prophesying visions or dreams? There, there is prophesying. There are no more prophets. I want that distinction to be clear. The gift of prophecy is still in existence, but having the gift of prophecy doesn't mean we're saying, thus saith the Lord. It's not God speaking through us in the sense of predictive nature or predicting the future uh, like Joel was doing, uh, but there's no more prophets, prophets uh, because the prophets, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, are part of the foundation of the church, which the Greek language makes clear has already occurred. The church is being built on a foundation already laid. The foundation is the apostles and the prophets with Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone. It's also true that there are still people that have visions and dreams um, in these last days. Um, I think they're abused a lot, but but there are visions and dreams. Still, Paul has, has received some visions from the Lord. Seems for some reason that's unexplainable to me that my dreams are occupied with demonic stuff. But um, there there are, are wonderful testimonies of people who've had visions of Jesus, especially, especially in those countries where they're risking their lives to believe in Jesus in this world. Jesus wants to reveal himself to people. And if they need to take a stand for him, they're going to, he's going to make sure he meets them. So they know beyond any doubt that it's him. So, um, there is prophesying. First Corinthians 12 talks about the gift of prophecy. That's for the edifying, the strength of the church. Uh, there are some people that still have visions and there are some people, uh, as we get older, the old, your old men will dream dreams. Uh, you'd think I'd be qualified by now, but I'm not. The second question uh, is, is wonderful. The answer, again, is in both places. But in John 20, of course, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit of God. They were sealed at that moment, but that was just the 11. Judas, of course, gone, but that was just the 11. So um, that, that's when they were um, um, sealed by the Holy Spirit and set apart for God. Now, for the rest of us, not the 12, but the rest of us, that happens uh, the moment we give our heart to Jesus Christ, when the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, not only did he come in the believers or those who would give their heart to him, but he came up on them and he came in them. He came up on them in power, but he came in them and they too were sealed with the Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing their inheritance. So from, from that day forward, the same way it happens now, when we surrender our hearts to Jesus Christ, we are given the fullness of the Spirit. Now, power from the Spirit, what you refer to as being baptized or filled uh, by the Spirit, um, power is triggered by obedience, Acts 5.32. And so when we're obedient, when we go out to proclaim the gospel, we share our faith, uh, when we... Um, need the power of God to do kind things, to serve God, to produce um, um, fruit, befitting children of the kingdom of God, well, then the Spirit comes upon us in power. And that's something, uh, Dylan, the way you answered your question, it makes, asked your question, it makes, um, it seemed like you understand this clearly. Um, but that requires a step of obedience. The Spirit comes in us. One of the reasons Paul said that we're not to quench the Spirit of God it's because he's in us. He wants to do great things through us. But if we say no, if we're disobedient, we're quenching that power of God. But that doesn't have anything to do with our salvation. So we are sealed upon our salvation. 
when we truly give our heart to Jesus Christ. 340-9585. Here's a question from Lewis from our mobile app. Um, would you please explain the curse of Jeconiah and how the verse, when we're looking at Jesus' genealogy, seems to uh, invalidate Jesus' right to the throne of David? I know it doesn't, he says in parentheses, but I've never heard of this before. And I'm full of questions. Lewis, if you just kind of hang on, I'm going to defer that question because it's quite technical. And I'm going to defer that question until the next time we're live on the program, which will be um, Friday of next week. We'll be live Thursday, but that's the show with Paula. So I'm going to hold this for a week from today. Uh, and and um, uh, it's a great question, but uh, there's a, it's, it's real technical. So I need a little bit of time to explain. So uh, bear with me, Lewis, and I'll get to that question uh, a week from today on the program. Here's our next question. Uh, Red wants to know. Uh, my question is about Luke 16, um, the story about the rich man and Lazarus. Is it a parable or is it a real story? Uh, Red, it's a real story. Uh, in all of Jesus' parables, they're identified as parables. The other thing is that he never uses names, real names of real people in parables. So, uh, a parable is an illustration of truth. Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, is a sort of a story uh, of something that really happened. Uh, Luke 16 says there was a rich man and Lazarus who was a beggar, and they died on the same day. One went to a place of torment, and the other, Lazarus, went to uh, the place called Paradise, or we would call it Abraham's bosom. Um, and the story is real. That's what makes it so scary. Uh, Red, it's the reason that I use Luke 16, this story. Uh, at every funeral I do, when we're not sure of the person's eternal destination, when we're not sure if they're saved, I want people to know what their loved one would say to them if they could be here, and I use the rich man to make that point. So it is a real story and not a parable. Take it literally because that's the way it was intended. Um, Miguel says, My question is about the great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12. Who are they? And why are they watching us? Miguel, they're not watching us. That they are witnesses. The Greek word is martyros. And and that's the word we get our English word martyrs from. And it refers to those who are witnesses, not of what we're doing, but witnesses of God's faithfulness in and through their own lives to encourage us who are alive and reading about that in Hebrews chapter 12. Now, who they are, uh, that's a reference to all of the, the, what we call the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Remember, in the, in the Bible, the chapter and verse divisions are not divinely inspired. So if you were reading this letter to the Hebrews uh, out loud to people uh, in the day that it was written, uh, they would just kept reading after the end of chapter 11. And, and basically what he's saying is chapter 12 opens, uh, Brothers, since we're surrounded by all of these faithful witnesses, witnessing to the faithfulness of God, and then he encourages us. Now, what's also important, Miguel, is what he encourages us to do. To throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Throw off everything that hinders. So that we can walk in the same faithfulness of God that those Hebrews chapter 11 heroes walked in as well. You know, we often hear people say, well, you know, our loved ones are in heaven and they're looking down on us. And, and sometimes this verse is used to justify that. Um, not to burst anybody's bubble, but your loved ones are not looking down on you from heaven. They're not with you. You know, we, we say, well, I know that he's with me now or she's with me now. That's not true. They're with Jesus. They're with Jesus. And by the way, there are no tears, no bad memories, no sorrow in heaven. And if they were looking down on earth, well, heaven would be very sorrowful, wouldn't it? So, um, it refers to the faithful Old Testament saints identified in Hebrews chapter 11. And they're not watching us, but they're faithful witnesses of God who is faithful even when they weren't. 
You know, if you think about some of the names, Miguel, in that Hebrews chapter 11 list, the one that just always astounds me is Samson. We don't read much about him being a great witness. It's like reading about Lot in Peter's epistles. Peter calls him righteous Lot. Well, we could look at Lot's life in Genesis and we would conclude there's not much righteous about him. So uh, that's the reference. Here is a question from Joshua. He says, what is soul sleep? It doesn't exist. It's not real. Don't worry about it. Now, it is a false doctrine, Joshua, that says that when people die, they don't um, resurrect from the dead right away. They just sleep. Their soul goes to sleep awaiting Jesus' return. Uh, That is not what the Bible teaches at all. So soul sleep is a horrible doctrine, a false doctrine. Um, Paul writes that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He said to die and be with Christ is better by far, to die and be with Christ. So we go immediately into the presence of the Lord. So soul sleep is something that you don't have to worry about. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses and some others uh, believe in it. Seventh-day Adventists, some of them, of those cults do. So um, it's just not true. Don't worry about it. Anonymous says, Pastor Ron, why did God choose Jews to be his special people? Anonymous, he chose the Jews because for the same reasons he chose you and chose me. He chose the Jews because they were foolish, chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the despised things, the things that are not. Israel wasn't a big people. Israel started with one person, Abraham, Abram. God chose him and changed his name. And certainly the history of the Jews gives us nothing to indicate that they were chosen because they were special. Here's what we need to remember, Anonymous. They weren't special, and that's why they were chosen. They were chosen, and that's what made them special. That's exactly the same reason that I'm special. There's nothing special about me except that God chose me. And I love the fact that he chose me when I would have chosen myself. But the fact that he did makes me really, really special. And that's true for all of us. So uh, God's basis for choosing people has always been the same. And it's certainly not the way that we would choose. You know, I always laugh when I, especially when I'm teaching in Romans about uh, the the choices that God makes. Uh, It it astounds me that, that God would choose me. It would be like lining up a bunch of seven footers to pick a basketball team and there's one four foot tall guy there and you choose him and somebody said well why would you choose the shortest guy the smallest guy and the answer would be because then when I win it'll be spectacular and that's kind of what God does when he chooses us 340 how are we doing on time 340-9585 we got a little bit of time for a phone call if you have a question Here's a question from Maya. We used to have a Maya who came to this church. haven't seen her in many, many, many years. Uh, she says, I want to know what is a backsliding Christian. Uh, Maya, I hate the term backsliding. You know, it's only used once, and it's used in an Old Testament construct. Uh, it's not found in the New Testament. Um, backsliding is a word, a polite-sounding word, that we New Testament Christians have come to use to describe usually an unbeliever. Oh, no, I'm just backsliding. I'm a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus. I got baptized or I answered an altar call. Baptized, uh, I mean, backsliding Christian just means you're sinning. And if sinning is your lifestyle, then what makes you think you're a Christian? So this is a Christian who's decided instead of following Jesus, they're going to do whatever they want to do. Backsliding is just a very polite, spiritual-sounding way to explain why I want nothing to do with God's Word. Why I'm going to do what I want, even when I know 
it's not what he wants for me. So Maya, uh, that's what a backsliding Christian is. Let's go to Ray in San Antonio on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I don't know if you'll thank me after I pose this to you. <laughs> uh, boy, I don't know. I had I had it all straight in my mind before I waited to talk with you. But um, going going on the idea of uh, the crowns that you know will will cast. To, on depending on our work, you know, we'll have fewer or more depending on how we've done, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, I'm thinking those of us that end up in the smoking section. What about the guy that's <laughs> in the last seat? You know that, and then and then you have that just and and then it also is said that the first will be last and the last will be first. And bless you, the the English language being so ambiguous, and and that's so helpful that you can translate and and figure this out for feeble-minded people like me who keep getting <laughs> feebler. <laughs> and uh, I I just was trying to figure out what what where does it all shift through? You know that. Uh, there, there will be no tears, but I mean, if if you don't even have a single crown to cast, yeah, I, I'll just let you figure that out, and I'm going to hang up and listen. Okay, Ray, thank you very, very much. Is that, is that enough? <laughs> yep, that that'll do it. Okay, thanks. Uh huh, Ray. Ray, Ray makes me feel better. He's he's honest enough and humble enough to always admit, you know, I forget things these days, and we all do that, especially as we get a little bit older. Um, a, a couple of things. First, the Bible doesn't say um, that there won't be tears. It says he'll wipe away our tears. There's going to be tears. And I personally think, Ray, that when we stand uh, before the Lord and receive our crowns or lose rewards, I think that's going to be a, a, a wonderful, joyful day mixed with a whole lot of sadness. Let me give you an example. Um, I preach a message. And, um, um, you know, I want with all of my heart for it to be God's message. I want the Spirit of God to empower the message. And I do my best. But let's just say I do a really crummy job of it. But if my heart is right... God's still going to use that message. His His word will not return to him void. Um, and so I'm going to get a crown for that work. Uh, but but then let's say I do a message that I've worked at really, really hard. And I've got it down. And it comes out and it just seems perfect. But you see, the reason I want it to be perfect is because there's going to be somebody in the church or somebody who's visiting um, that I want to impress. Maybe another pastor comes, and, and I want people to think, boy, boy, Ron was really preaching it today. There's no reward for that message. God will still use it, but I won't get a reward because I will have done it for me rather than for Jesus. Um, the guy who comes to church and the offering announcement is made. And he thinks, well, I wasn't going to give anything, but, well, now I feel guilty, so I'm going to give you a little bit of money. Or let's just say he feels really, really guilty, and he gives us a lot of money. Now, by the way, if I'm talking to you out there, we'll take your lot of money. <laughs> but if you give it out of guilt, or if you give it because, well, I'll give to God, he'll have to give me back, then there's no reward for that. If you're nice to your wife, Ray, and you're only nice to manipulate her to get something from her, no reward for that. But if you're nice to her when she's not nice to you, then there's a big crown waiting for you. So those are the kinds of things that are in view here. Those are the kind of things that are in view. And all I know is there's going to be a lot of rewards that are taken away from some and given to others. And Ray, you've probably heard me say this before, but I think the thing that drives me the most 
um, just the way I'm built is I don't want to miss out on any rewards. I don't want Jesus to say to me, there's a reward waiting for you. But I couldn't give it to you because you weren't faithful. So I gave it to somebody who was faithful. That would just be the worst ever for me. So, Ray, I hope that uh, makes sense to you. Here is the last question I'll be able to take today from Aldo. He says, in Revelation chapter 20, there's a second death mentioned. What does that mean? Uh, Although that's a spiritual death, the first death, of of course, is a physical death. Um, The second death is that death uh, that's spiritual. Uh, That describes a moment when when people are thrown into the lake of fire, uh, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. Um, and, and if you approach God as friend, then there's eternal rewards. If you approach him as, as a foe, um, then you're going to be cast into the lake of fire. And that's the second death. And so we always need to remember the second death is that moment where we are sentenced to an eternity separated from God. Doesn't mean we're going to die. We're going to be in conscious, conscience. I'm sorry, conscious torment and we will be there forever and ever and ever. That's the second death that describes separation from God. So Aldo, thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. If I remember right, that's the first time we've gotten a question from you. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Our children's Christmas play. You'll have a blast. 6.30 tonight, the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, rebroadcast. Merry Christmas, and may God bless you. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.